Hello, welcome to In Discovery We Trust, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Today we are discussing episode 5 of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Leth, or Leith, or Leth, because no one says it in the episode that we notice, so we're not sure how to say it. My name is Ethan, and I'm joined by my number one, Mr. Kevin. Welcome aboard. Set your phasers to fun. <sighs> I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. Um, so before we get into it, um, the big news that is rocking the world right now is that Discovery was renewed for a second season. Yeah, which this... I uh, was not surprised by. The announcement came much sooner than I thought it would. But um, we're only, and the thing is, it's 15 episodes in season one. We're kind of approaching the midpoint of season one already, which I cannot believe. Yeah, I think it's got to be a good sign for how it's performing, for what's going on with CBS All Access. Um, probably. I don't know that they've released any numbers with this. No, I, I, I think those numbers are going to be changing over time, too, because you also have to assume that when the show either goes on mid-season hiatus or hiatus for the season when it's all uh, done with, they're going to pick up more subscribers at that point who are going to binge-watch. That's a good point. The entire show. That's a good point. I but suppose there are clearly enough viewers now to keep the show going. Yeah, so. and I also suppose if they have any hope of CBS All Access making it in the long run, they certainly are going to need this show to, to keep going. This is definitely, definitely the draw. Definitely, although, but if you were following the uh, Twitter feed on Sunday night, apparently there were some problems with CBS All Access causing people to pretty much rage out. Really? Yes. So, um, did some research, read some comments in different places, and... One point that was brought up was when Yahoo bought the show Community. Yahoo did at one point have a kind of a streaming service. I forget what it was called. But it wasn't very good and it eventually kind of led to, you know, the death of not only that, but Community as well. So, uh, unfortunately, it's, you know, sad for Yahoo. But me, somebody who was on CBS All Access on Sunday night, I can say personally, I did not, ha- I did not have any issues, but... And I did not. Watch I'm only it. one. I'm only one person. I didn't watch it till Monday, and um, you know, I hate to say it, but suddenly they have probably millions of people downloading the, or, you know, streaming the same episode at the same time. And right. I guess that's sort of a stress test for their system. Well, it's that kind they've of got a similar thing. Doesn't uh, HBO now have the same problem whenever there's a new episode of Game of Thrones? Doesn't that crash constantly? I've never had a problem with HBO now. Mm-hmm. Well, neither have I, because I don't watch the damn show. <laughs> Uh, so what did you think of this uh, of this episode? <clears throat> so my general thoughts are, um, I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. I like seeing Sarek. And one note on Sarek, the actor, who I don't have his name right now, but uh, I'm also just got into the show Gotham. And on okay. Gotham, he plays the mayor of Gotham, who becomes a... I won't spoil anything, but he becomes a character well-known from the comics, uh, from the Batman comics. And he's fantastic in that role. And he, it's really completely different than what he's doing here with Sarek. Was he on Gotham before Discovery? Like, had you known that yes. actor already? You did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he, he just kills it on Gotham, and he's doing really, really well here. What's your so. take, by the way, really quick, on his sort of interpretation of Sarek? Do you believe that that's the younger Mark Leonard? I kind of do. Um, I, I don't want to say it's easy to play a Vulcan. Right. But, you know, he's stoic. He gives short answers. He doesn't mm-hmm. show too much emotion. He looks enough like the the previous actor. I will say he, he, it's growing on me. I wasn't really sure about him in the beginning. I didn't really fully buy that it was him just from the you know publicity photos and even when I saw his first few scenes. But uh, he's he's growing on me. I think it's actually he's actually getting pretty good. So yeah, I'm enjoying it, and I really liked in this episode the deeper explanation of the relationship between Sarek and Burnham. Mm-hmm. We've gotten some hints around this. Uh, but we really haven't gotten the whole story as right. to what's going on between them. How right. she wound up in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, where Spock fits into all of this. Which I was not expecting to know about. We're not expecting to find out about. Because we found out it's revealed why there's a grudge that Sarah holds against Spock in Journey to Babel. Right. Which I, which honestly, like that was never a question I really asked. But now that I see it elaborated on the show, I'm just going, oh my god, now it makes total sense. Right, because it's not only that he did not go in the direction that his father wanted him to go in, it's that he gave up this huge opportunity. And he didn't take it. And then to set up Spock for this, and he didn't even want it. Right. So it was sort of a double letdown for Sarek. Right. 
Right, and it kind of follows a similar path in the first Abrams Trek film. It was a similar thing. I mean, obviously, there's no Michael Burnham in that universe that we know of, but we also see Spock. We actually see Spock turn down the uh, the invitation to attend the Vulcan Science Academy. Right, and to go think, with... And they think that it's kind of a crazy thing to do. Right, because why would he want to go with humans and get this inferior training when right. they could get and, this superior training? And, you know, the whole thing in that movie was... One of the uh, Vulcans' elders had said to Spock that no Vulcan has turned down acceptance into this academy. And he says, well, since I am not fully Vulcan and half-human, as you pointed out, then your record remains untarnished. I love that line so much. Right, yeah. he could, And he definitely gets the, the Vulcans. And to them, mm. that would be something they could hang their hat on and say, oh, yeah, you're right, okay. Yeah. Um, and, boy, we really get to see their um, disdain for humans which right. uh, I don't know that we've seen in this sort of extreme way before. Well, it kind of, it confuses me a little bit. I mean, we saw it in, we saw the antagonism toward humans on Enterprise mm-hmm. and how they were so cautious and kind of held them back from doing things. Then, as that series was wrapping up, remember they did that that three-part episode on Vulcan? Mm-hmm. And you see, toward the end of it, but also in the beginning, Ambassador Saval says to Admiral Forrest that humans remind them of what Vulcans were once like. Once savage, you know, they had their wars, civilizations almost destroyed. And when when those three episodes come to an end, you're led to believe that the Vulcans are going to sort of loosen their grip on humanity and sort of let them stand on their own. Right. It also leaves you with the impression that Vulcans are not biologically logical, and it's more that their society and their culture and their education has sort of just built this up in them. Right. So that at their core, they're maybe not very different biologically from humans. Right. And the logic is imposed. Mm-hmm. And the humans could also, in their eyes, aspire to this great logical and fascinating And fascinating to see Sarek sort of been get, get some... Sarek kind of takes some heat for just marrying a human to begin with. Right. So he, him, he himself is not really even in good standing with any of the Vulcan elders at that point right marrying human and now as we see adopting a full human yeah treating spock as if he were you know worthy of the vulcan right. but this is not new we've seen this in past shows before so this is you know the idea that Sarek is sort of not in good favor with the vulcan elders i mean this is something that has been around and sort of alluded to but now we're getting to see it really kind of in full force and to me it's a really fascinating thing to watch yeah the other thing i really like seeing is i like seeing Sarek in his role as a diplomat right um, the fact, and it's very interesting, the fact that he's going to this meeting with mm-hmm. a rogue faction of the Klingons that right. wants to potentially negotiate a peace. Right. Which, for me, sort of sent up red flags right away. Because oh, totally. it doesn't, okay. Klingons don't seem to seek peace. Now, let me ask you this really quick. So, I I know I've done it on the other on the past podcast, and I hate to do it, I always feel like I'm the continuity police Okay. When, and I hope I'm not forcing you to jump ahead, but when Sarek is on his shuttle and that Vulcan blows it up. The logic extremist, as they're called. Did you have the same thought I did? The Shiranites from Enterprise? The radical Vulcans from that three-part episode I was just talking about a moment ago? Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't. I did not have that thought. Um... I wondered, I'm like, oh, are they back? Is this going to be, do they still exist? Because we had those, and there was also, um, as depicted in an earlier episode of Enterprise, that there's also sort of a rogue faction of Vulcans who disregard logic and just go with their emotions. Right. So I think it's great to see that there are these variations on Vulcans, that which is not all logic all the time, which makes sense. But that's interesting, if these logic extremists are perhaps... um, Well, they follow Sir... Sir, From what I recall in the Enterprise episode, they they did bomb the uh, Earth Embassy on Vulcan. And they're basically children of uh, Surak. And one of those Vulcans now... Because for a while, Archer had his Katra throughout that episode. And it ended with them handing it down to another Vulcan. Right. So they were sort of extremists when it came to Surak's teachings. So right. And, and Surak is the Vulcan that introduced logic to Vulcan society. Right, the impurity of the humans. Yeah, so that. it's really... I don't remember, because I, I would have to watch it again, so I hope this doesn't... Unless somebody listens and corrects me. Um, I don't remember if when that when those three-part episodes ends, when, the, when that three-part episode uh, 
arc ended, if the Sharonites were dissolved or not. I right. don't recall if that was the case. Yeah, I think it's something so, worth putting a pin in and seeing if we can return to this. this but, if they are the same, in um, fact. But that uh, doesn't mean if they, you know, even if they did dissolve, you know, they could come back or something. So I just it was something I I kind of pulled from the recesses and was like, oh, you know, maybe this is a uh, a connection. Yeah, it, it was a very interesting explosive device, right? With his injecting himself. I didn't know what was happening at first, which I think why would I? Right. It was very strange. Kind of looked like uh, what's her face from Avengers two. Uh, is it not uh, one of the two the witch? people? Which kind of had the same effect. I was like, oh, remember okay, that? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so then as this happens, we get the space meld, I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. Which is a fantastic visual where we had right. Michael, sort of the repeating bodies of Burnham going right. up into space. Yep. And that really um, sort of a, just a beautiful shot of space with mm-hmm. her going through it. That was That was fantastic. Another thing that... To revisit something I really like about the show are the uh, the visuals, cinematography, which is not something that generally we Michael, look for. In, in Michael Star-Fair. seems to have a little bit of that Ben Kenobi thing. You know, when Alderaan was destroyed, he knew about it. You know, when Sarek's in distress, she knows about it. Right. Um, and then what I didn't, what I wasn't sure about was, was Sarek reaching out to her intentionally to save himself? To save himself. Or was this just a, a byproduct of their connection? I would say he was. I would yeah. say he was. That's what I thought. Um, and it referenced this soul graft that had happened to save Burnham's life before. Right. That they had done. And that's what left this connection between them. Hmm. Um, well, let me let me kind of step back a moment. Because that, that happened right the moment she shook Ash Tyler's hand. I know. So at first I thought she was getting some type of a... Klingon Because as thing. we know, we are suspicious of Ash Tyler. The leading theory right now about that man is that he is a Klingon undercover, which I have more. I have another uh, thing to point out about that when uh, we have time to sort of get back to it. But that's what I Me thought too. was going on at first. I thought she was sensing something about him that was off. Yes, me but too. But it was still odd that it happened at that moment. I think, it, I, and I feel like it was kind of feeding into that rumor a little bit. I think so too. I think that yeah. was definitely intentional, but yeah. really, it was it was an extreme coincidence. So and I think, side note: they're wearing disco t-shirts. Yeah, so I love this because, um, as the listeners probably know, our email address is our email address is in discoverywetrust at gmail Our Twitter handle, thank you, is disco podcast. So it's almost like they're wearing t-shirts. Yes, show. because Discovery Podcast was too long. It was. So it we was. went with Disco Podcast. Just in, when we did it, we thought it was ridiculous. Right. And now here it is on the show, canonized. They Disco s- is the official they are, abbreviation. They are wearing our branding, basically. Yes. Yes. If we ever have Maybe reason they- to make t-shirts, they will probably be designed after that. Same font, same um, yes. emblem on the shoulder. Yes, and exactly. it will say you Disco say, Podcast. It will say Disco and it will say Podcast on the back. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, in Disco we trust. Um, yeah, so uh, I think we get another nice character moment here. I, I really am liking the character of Tilly. She's coming into her own. Oh, she's bit. so great. She's great. Um, there, she's talking to Michael. Now, Michael's sort of taken on this guru role for Tilly. Yep. And she's taking this very, um, I know what to do, you don't know anything attitude. Right. So she's, but I love that Tilly doesn't judge her for anything. She just wants to look at her as a, you know, she just wants to make her own, you know, judgments about her. Yeah, she seems impressed with her and what she's done. Yeah. Um, aside from and despite the, yeah, and despite what Michael has done, I, li- I I like the fact that she's sort of playing role model in a way to uh, to Tilly because you know again, despite the fact that she did she mutinied, that doesn't mean that everything she did to become a Starfleet officer is invalid, right? And she's right. helping Tilly, you know, become what she is, and I yeah. I feel like maybe in a way Michael sees this as a way of redeeming herself in some way. Right, by mentoring this By mentoring character. somebody. But yeah. I feel that it, at this point, anyway, because we think we've talked about this before, Michael's not the most likable character. And even the way she goes about mentoring is very condescending. Right. In that she's telling her, like, she tells her personality doesn't count. I mean, I like her, but... Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but I'm not a... I feel she's, she has a lot of unlikable qualities. Personality doesn't count, but I like the idea, like, when she's talking to Tilly about uh, going to command, everybody there's going to be smart. Mm. Everybody's going to be smart. Yeah, and then she tells her to stay on her path, which is nice. But I feel like by the end, when they have their second mentoring moment, yes. then she sort of has relaxed a little bit, and she realizes when she tells her, 
uh, something like, there are many ways to get to the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. So, the way it was before, she was telling her exactly, you have to do this, then you have to do this, and then you have to do this, and that's it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I like that she's kind of loosening up a little bit. I think that's helping her. How did you feel about the uh, that little nod to the Enterprise? I felt it was a necessary um a necessary thing, yeah. but I don't believe that at this point the Enterprise... Did you say a necessary thing or an unnecessary a thing? A necessary thing, A necessary yes. thing, okay. So, I, I don't see any reason why the Enterprise would be the go-to um, no, Constitution I mean, class ship that's I mean, mentioned. that's for us. Yes, I, I, it was but, fine. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it was, it was nice to hear it referenced, but let me, let me take this for a moment. I just want to use it as a quick springboard to talk about something. Do you feel like, because I'm getting the sense a little bit with the show now, do you feel like there's too much of that? There's too much of that fan service? Do you, you feel like, like that there's now kind of an overabundance of it in a way? Well, not really. Mm. I don't think it's been too over the top. Um, so there's been that. But now that I think about it, I mean, the Enterprise was the first ship. The name, anyway, has lived on and it's yes. gone from ship to ship. Yes. So perhaps there is a reason that that would be the ship you mentioned if you want well, to reference the Constitution. Arguably, class ship. the most famous Constitution class ship out there. But right, um, even if she had just said a Constitution class, we'd be like, well, yeah, we us fans would say, well, yeah, the Enterprise is a Constitution class, right? And you would think a cadet yeah. who has her eye on the captain chair would know what a Constitution class ship is without having to be told, right? For example, the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the other things that have come up, and I've I've seen some, I've heard some things. Uh, why is there a Tribble sitting? Uh, that's just a fan service thing. I don't believe that it is. No, I think, but that Tribble is going to be important. I think. I, I think he's going to weaponize the Tribble. I think the Tribbles are not yet weaponized, and it will be Lorca that weaponizes them. Okay, so you okay? You gave me you gave me my uh, you gave me my uh, my uh, my uh, springboard to discuss this. Uh, Ash Tyler. Um, I know the Klingon theory is still out there. I don't know if it's... It didn't seem to gain much traction in this episode. Mm. It's debatable if it did. But I think that he's developing a close relationship with Lorca. Mm-hmm. Lorca has that Tribble. Mm-hmm. I think that Tribble... Assuming Ash Tyler is a Klingon, it's going to freak out when it gets near Tyler. Because... They have a natural... Because in, that's how they uncovered the spy in Trials and Tribulation, and uh, excuse me, in um, Trouble with Tribbles. Okay. When they found out so, that Darwin was a Klingon, Klingons don't or uh, Tribbles don't like Klingons. And okay. I think that I think that th- if if Ash Tyler, if we do find out he's a Klingon, I think it's going to be through uh, that Tribble. All he has to do is walk into uh, Lorca's ready room. Okay, so this is sort of like Chekhov's Tribble. You don't introduce a Tribble in episode one if it's not going to go off by episode seven. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um. I like that. Idea. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I um, think that Tribble is going to get him into some trouble. So, as long as we're on the topic of Ash Tyler, mm-hmm. um, again, I'm not sure about this being a Klingon. It made sense at first, but then just how could he be a Klingon? Right. Wouldn't Lorca have checked the data files for him? Well, he did, actually. He said that he looked them up. I guess they could have been a prisoner that they captured they and captured killed and, just, yeah, and replicated and in some place. way. Yeah, um, but but you have to assume that if they're going to do some genetic engineering to make him look like that, then they have a they have a template to go by, basically. True, true. So. Now, one thing that I did notice is that um, after they're in the holodeck, what WTF holodeck? Um, do you need me to step in for a moment? And no, just, yeah, we'll talk about okay. holodeck. But okay. let me just finish this. So, okay, um, uh, when Lorca is talking to uh, Ash. He says, um, he's talking about things that he likes about him, um, and he says, well, you fight like a Klingon. Mm. So, I mean, if there's, if there's any other, I mean, that's a big one to drop. And maybe it's right. just to, like, lead the people in one direction or another, but that's what he said. You fight like a Klingon, which is pretty big. So, um, the holodeck thing. Now, let's, let me, let me kind of take stock room. Now, they don't refer to it as such. Right. It could be an extremely primitive version of a holodeck. certainly functions like a holodeck. Okay, it does. Um, you have to figure that maybe Starfleet had some sort of way of simulating battle back then. 
a prototype holodeck. So, it's established in the animated series. The idea of the holodeck, again, not called a holodeck, is introduced in the animated series. Forgive me, I do not recall the name of the episode. Right. See, somebody, I didn't know that. somebody on Twitter and and my or email, you know, tell, point out the episode for me. The holodeck is first introduced to us on the Next Generation in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Some may say, "Well, just because it's introduced to us, it doesn't mean it couldn't have existed before." But there's a uh, an episode of Voyager called Flashback where they flashback to the time of Star Trek VI, if you remember this. I don't know if you've seen this one. I have not. There's a nice conversation between Janeway and Harry Kim, and they're talking about what it was like to live at that time. And Harry says, oh, no holodecks. No, no, no replicators. No nothing. Nothing like what we have today. Mm-hmm. So maybe, it, maybe they're not called holodecks, but they could be some early version of them. And let's see, are the food replicators but, called replicators on Discovery? No, they are called food processing units. Okay, so? so But they still function the same way. But maybe we can also theorize that Discovery, not everybody is privy to whatever technology Discovery might have. Right, it is a so, leading-edge technology ship. Perhaps yes. this is an early model. Perhaps it yes. doesn't have all the functionality. Maybe they can shoot those people, but maybe if they went up and they never punched them, do they? It, it, uh, I don't recall. They I don't shoot believe them. that they do. I think they just are shooting them. So now, maybe like you can't physically. It's more like a video game than things, it is a, something you can like, interact with. I will say things like that do worry me. Uh, again, I'm not a continuity stickler per se. Uh, you've got to be consistent, I think. But we're now living in this era where movies and television basically throw continuity out the window because you have those. You have the ideas of these selective sequels that just don't just ignore stuff that's happened previously. That's true, but I so, don't know that this ever sold itself as something that ignores. No, no, no. I I realize that. It's it, just it, it's call it a little worry of mine. But, and I don't yeah. want that to be. I don't want some things like that to sort of get in the way of my enjoyment. I'm trying not to, but right. I generally I see it and I note it and then I get on with enjoying the episode. Right. Um. But it does make me wonder, as many people have pointed out, why not just make this a show that happens after, um, Next Generation, after Voyager, and. You know, I mean, perhaps there's been a, a long period of peace with the Klingons, and then suddenly a new war has started. Okay, yeah, I, I they don't, could have done I, that. But I, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. Uh, use the era if you're going to do something specific to that era. I, I get it. Yeah, and I always go back to Enterprise, but what I really liked about Enterprise, so um, they used a tow cable in Enterprise. They they were too afraid to use the transporters for people because they were, right. you know, they had that very uh, Bones-like attitude. I'm, yes. just gonna, I'm not going to let that thing scramble my right. atoms. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing you could not do by, uh, really to the effect that they do it on the show, is that if you set it in the 24th century, even post-24th century, Relating Michael to Sarek could become problematic because Sarek dies in an episode of the next of Next Generation. Fair, yes. basically, and so. a lot of people also point out that well, don't make Michael. I, I understand. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I with you guys. I'm, I'm with you guys right now on those who think you know. They're, why not set this you know post voyage? I get it. They're and I'm just not, not doing anything. They're not doing much that is tied to this era that it's in. Uh, yeah. And, and, but I'm not I'm not one of those people that says that. I think it's fine. I think there could be yeah, some fun yeah, yeah. things, and I do hope to see some other characters. I was um, watching something recently, and someone pointed out that, um, you know, in, in a sort of an analog to this is that um, William Riker was a great mm-hmm. character. And he would not have been any greater if he was Kirk's great-grandson or grandson. And it just seems if that were today now, Riker would be Kirk's grandson or something like something that. Something to that effect, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we've got the situation, the Klingons reach out to the Vulcans to negotiate peace, mm-hmm. um, Sarek is in distress. Yep. I was very, very surprised when Michael went to Lorca, and he immediately was on board. Yeah. Because I, I don't believe that he wants peace, or I didn't think he would have wanted peace. Um, it was very strangely selfless of Lorca. Lorca doesn't do anything selfless. Um, I mean... He will do things for the war, but he he also is very much in his self-interest. What is your take on the Admiral? Because she pointed out to him that she thought he was he was just acting completely out of the norm. 
And then we find out that they had a little thing going on. Right. What's I mean, what's your kind of take on that? I wasn't expecting that, I've got to say. I knew that they had a relationship that was sort of established. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was interesting. But I think we got a lot of great insight into Lorca mm. from those interactions. Right. And one thing that the Admiral said, um, you've not been the same since Baran. Yes. So, this is uh, to the theory that we sort of are thinking could be uh, true, that somehow Lorca is from the Mirror Universe, or something's going on with Lorca. She does point to this very specific time. Baran. And then... I meant to wait, I meant to look at that on Memory Alpha to see if it was actually a, a callback to something. Right. But yeah. then, right after that, mm-hmm. she's reminiscing about some old times together. Right. And she says to him, don't you remember? And he says, um, oh, yeah, just I can't believe it was so long ago. But maybe. Oh, so right. So he could have just been covering for the so fact this that could he be... actually didn't remember. Oh, my God. I, the, that, wow. And those that happened, totally went over my head. And those happened right in the same scene. Right. Um, also, it was when she was touching his old scars that she seemed, I don't know, I got the impression that she was surprised by those old scars. He freaked out, grabbed his phaser, and she said, you're not the man I used to know. Well, I mean, that's when I looked at the Mirror Universe thing, because she thought, I mean, the first, the first like, red flag to me was when she pointed out that she thought he was acting out of the ordinary. Right. Only made by what you, and then only followed up by what you just said. Mm-hmm. Now, she even says that having sex with him was different before. Yes. Yes. So, there's a lot in there to suggest that, yes, perhaps he's suffering from post-traumatic stress... It could, or, it's open to interpretation, but it just fits the, as Spock says in 6, we only have a theory which happens to fit the facts. Mm. Yeah. Well stated. So the next time that we see the Admiral and Lorca together, when the Admiral is leaving um, to pick up the peace mission where Sarek left where Sarek off. Where left off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she she tells him, listen, you can't, I cannot have Starfleet's greatest weapon in the hands of someone that I see as unstable. Mm-hmm. So she tells Lorca, when I get back, you we're going to figure out how you're going to step down and like maintain your dignity. Now, mm-hmm. as soon as she said that, I knew she's not coming back. Say her, line, sorry, no, say, wow. her, say her line to me again. We can't have what? Uh, we can't have Starfleet's greatest weapon or most advanced weapon, something to that effect, uh, in the hands of someone that's unstable. Do you see an allegory there? To our president. Oh man, you're going down this road again. No. <laughs> well, I ha- well, I mean, the way it's put, you know. Yeah, no, I'm I see just, your I'm point. Just, I'm just saying. I mean, and it's, it's filmed. Yeah. Be- it's filmed right before that, right. but still. I, well, yeah. If you, if, I see some political allegory there. In a way. Could be, and yeah. if you believe that the president is unstable, then de facto, yes, yeah, he does have the most powerful weapons array in the world. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's a very, it's just, yeah, that's how I see it. Right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I find that the best sci-fi generally comments on the world around it. Yeah. Sorry to be political, guys. I'm just pointing it out. It's okay. I will uh, I will try to maintain the neutrality of the... So this is pretty clear to me that she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what your thought was there. The Admiral. You had a, yeah, the Admiral. You had any expectations as to is Lorca going to do something? Is he that much uh, power... Hungry? That's someone that he was friends with? Or is he really not himself? Is he willing to... If she's captured now, is he willing to forget about her in order to maintain his captaincy? Well, I would argue that yes. Yeah. That's going to be the thing. we have a scene with Saru comes in after she's captured mm. in a very uh, crazy scene. I mean, these elders of Kang Cree 4. Yep. Uh, they were interesting. It was very strange. I see that, yeah. It's very Star- just kind of lingering in the background. Yeah, very Star Wars looking character, I think. Ooh. Um... Bad word. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was a total setup. Um, didn't really surprise me that much, given what we know about the Klingons. But not only was the setup, the whole story was a ruse about the um, the houses wanting to seek peace and the, having the divisions. Right. And it was that same Klingon that's the sort of taken over from the albino mm. uh, that is was behind the whole thing. And then Lorca... Very quickly uh, gets very timid. He's not going to pursue. He's not going to, um, 
launch a mission, he's going to wait for Starfleet to give him orders, which I think right. that's the first time that we've ever heard him say, right. we'll just wait well, for Starfleet to give us he's, orders. He's a power-hungry guy, and he doesn't, wanna, he doesn't want to lose his position of power right now. Right. I mean, and I can't blame him. Saru immediately knows that it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. she flies to the Sure? Is this really what you want to do? Mm-hmm. So Saru knows that something's up. I'm sure it doesn't know the whole story, but... Um, so that was a very interesting scene. Yeah. And, and you know, really quick sidebar, but, like, also a really interesting scene when, right before Burnham leaves to go rescue Sarek with Stamets. Did you notice how off he was behaving? When he says, when he's going, are you really that crazy? Good to know. Like, he's just, it seemed like he was, he was almost high on, on, on the mushrooms, basically, from the, uh, oh, from the drive. Yes. He so, was just really, he was more likable. Yeah. I, I had a, Two thoughts. One was he just has changed his DNA. Yeah. So perhaps he's a different person. The yeah. other is we saw the mirror situation. We did. Maybe he's not him. Maybe he's not him. Maybe. So oh, God. This is just Definitely crazy. got some. Now, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Is it not that characters generally will jump to and from the mirror universe when they go unconscious? When they go unconscious? Yes. No. No? Not when they go unconscious. No. Not that I've seen. Are you We've sure? seen them... Go un- when- so what are you saying? If somebody blacks out? Yeah, someone blacks out, passes out, and then they wake up and they're in the mirror universe. No, I mean, Deep Space Nine, they they transported right over. Um, the original series, they beamed right over. So not, uh, no, not not that I recall. Scratch every, all of my theories then. <laughs> because I mean, it doesn't mean that it can't happen. Right. We just haven't seen that traditionally be the way. Yeah, I haven't done my research, but I swear it happened at least once. But... So now um, we're going to jump back to the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. So the plan is that they're going to do a another space meld yep. in order to find out where Sarek is and hopefully save him from the inept um, attack. It only took out a small part of the ship. So the plan is they're going to take a shuttle out and they're going to use this device that it's interesting how it attaches to the head very similarly to yep. how a mind meld does yep, so yep. sort of an electronic version of a mind meld mm-hmm. to uh, amplify the mind meld i don't know that we've ever seen anything like that before i don't no, know that it matters so. i was no. able to just go with the tech and say okay fine um <laughs> so they they head out and it the team is tilly ash and burnham right uh, it's a very funny scene with Tilly and Burnham and Ash when um, the captain says, you better bring Michael back in one piece. In one piece. Um, or don't come back at all. Or don't come back at all. Which was surprising. I knew that he wanted Michael on his ship, but I did not realize how much he, she seems to be some linchpin for his whole plan. Mm-hmm. That was very odd. Especially we've seen him bond so much with Ash and now right. suddenly it's like, yeah, I like you, but... You do anything happens to Michael, and it's your fault. Forget it. You're done. Uh-huh. So I'm curious to see what his plans are for Michael. Yeah, where do his loyalties lie? Basically, where, I, his, where do his priorities lie? Right between I, the two of them. I feel we haven't seen his whole plan for Michael. Right. Um. So they're headed out, and because Ash is feeling kind of um, he's you know he doesn't want to make a mistake. As they're heading out, you um he. First, they have some trouble. She tries one mind meld. It doesn't work. She comes back. And then, um, so he says, I said, I'm turning this thing around. And then Burnham gets her very uh, serious and stern, uh, "You no, you are not, until he says, he actually is, though, because he was literally right. turning it around. That was a fantastic yeah. little character moment. Nice humor. I, I like yeah. that a lot. Um, so then there's a second attempt, and um, it works. She makes contact, but... And I, I didn't know how to feel about the scene. It made me laugh a little bit at first when it became a, a kung fu or a Vulcan martial arts yes. uh, fight in order to allow her to remain in uh-huh. his memories or not. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you feel about the the Vulcan martial arts? The Vulcan martial arts I mean, scene, the Matrix scene. I, I mean, I thought it was fine. I know T'Pol is very versed in Vulcan martial arts, uh-huh. so which I was hoping she would make an appearance. Um, but I, I mean, I thought it was fine. I, I, I didn't really have much of a thought on that. Okay. Just, you know, hey, make her, uh, make her fight somehow in an episode. Get that done on the show somehow. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought was funny. Cause yeah, suddenly yeah. we're fighting and it didn't seem like the moment it, for a fight. No. Um, you get the, you get the feeling where I was like, all right, just do it. Don't, don't, it doesn't matter. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Um, so she gets into the mind and I, I didn't realize when they were fighting 
that Sarek was trying to hide something. Hmm. That just that came up through the dialogue. Um, I just I don't know. I didn't know why he was fighting her. So that part kind of fell flat for me. Right. Yeah. I mean it. it yeah, it kind of fell flat for me too. I, it, it never really went anywhere. I was hoping it would. Well, it went to the information we discussed earlier. Though. Right. Right. But which I which by the way I was not just to kind of follow up. I was not expecting that. No, that, that, was that, that wasn't surprise. that wasn't yeah that wasn't an answer I was expecting to see at any point. It wasn't even really a answer I was seeking myself. But yeah, so in okay. that way that 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 worked for me yeah. because I I was going right along with Michael's thought is that I'm his greatest disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this also gave us some great insight into Burnham's character of how she's carried this burden even even if she became captain even if she became the greatest captain in Starfleet to her it will, she would have still been a disappointment she would have still been a failure. Right. Um, so I think that explains some of her character. Why she, even when she was on um, the Shenzo, seemed you know not a particularly happy or a, you know well-adjusted character. She it, really seemed to be carrying a lot. It makes me wonder where Cybok fits into all of this, if it's even worth thinking about. Yeah, I had a discussion over the weekend actually. I mean, I remember the line from Star Trek Five where where it's revealed as such, and McCoy says to him to Spock. Let me see if I get this straight. You and Cybok have the same father, but a different mother. And this box says, exactly, that is correct. Cybok's mother was a Vulcan princess. Upon her death, he and I were raised as brothers. Right. So, because so, Cybok was full Vulcan. Right. So, maybe we can assume that it was after Burnham wow. goes off. Because remember, he mentions that Spock is younger. Right. So it could have been like the day after that Something happened. just, I mean, it's, it's, wow, something just like kind of occurs to me. I just, I never thought of it like this. Out of the three children that Sarek has, one is a full Vulcan. Oh. One is a half human, half Vulcan. And another one is a full-blooded human. Okay. So he's got like the whole spectrum and Spock's right in, right in between. So that's actually very interesting. And yeah. maybe that makes the placement of her more, make a little more sense and actually add a lot to the Sarah character. I mean, I'm not, I'm not counting on us seeing Cybok and I kind of feel like the fans will think the less references to Star Trek V, the better. But... I mean, you know, but he's a... Framelit doesn't know. He's the full Vulcan brother. Yeah. Um, wow. Encountered in Star Trek I V. I never thought about that. Yeah, so... It's very interesting that he has... And another interesting thing... Now, he was older than Spock, correct? Uh, I don't know he if... He looked that, older than Spock. I mean... Gray hair and... I, I don't know if that's fully established as okay. in terms of... I mean, the actor might be. Spock couldn't I don't just know. look good for his age. But I, potentially, yeah. yeah. Um, and in Search of God, whatever the hell he was doing, maybe it aged him, I don't know. So, But we don't know. <laughs> we, 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 we don't know. Okay. We don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, people do things and they they end up it ages it kind of advances their age. Probably very stressful. Yes, yes. Hunt. Okay, right. Okay. So um, on Vulcan, when this decision is made, I always love getting any scenes of Klingon and Klingon society. Yeah. I always have ever since the original series. We get mm. just a little bit. Um, but what do you think about kind of the setup and the the seeming? Um, it didn't seem like the most logical reasoning for not letting both of his kids in. I mean, I kind of viewed it as it's a very, as if it's one of those colleges that's they only accept a certain amount of people. It's a very sort of like illustrious, difficult science academy or you know center of education to get into, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, because I felt like there was definitely prejudice. It does, it does sound like a very Vulcan thing to do. And prejudice seems very illogical. Well, and as I mentioned, in Star Trek 2009, they, they, um, when Spock is, is granted acceptance, one of the elders actually does say to him, it's truly remarkable how far you've come despite your disadvantage. That disadvantage being, he's half-human. Right. So... Despite the fact that it fits, even though if you if you want to consider that canon because it's a separate reality of sorts, the behavior of the Vulcans are still consistent. So I consistently anti-human. Consistently anti-human. Yes, yes. So 
I, I mean, I guess I maybe found it a little strange, but in retrospect, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just how I expect the Vulcans to be. It, it, it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't really surprise me that that's right. the case. Did you find but, Sarek's reaction to be um, one of emotion, as implied by the oh, totally. admissions officer or whoever Absolutely. he was? I think that, I, I did, and I think that that's only made by the fact that he's married, he's married to a human. Right, so every time that they throw these insults against humans, they're insulting his wife. Yeah, when T'Pol was was uh, assigned to Enterprise, she would encounter other Vulcans, and it would, it would they would say to her on numerous occasions, you know, you've been spending a lot of time with humans, and they've noticed a change in her. Right, right, and they would ask so, about the smell. The smell, yes, the smell. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, Alright, so then we have Michael and Sarek. Uh, the rescue mission is successful. They have Sarek. He finally allows her after they have sort of a touching scene where she mm-hmm. talks to him and says, let me in. Let me save you. Um, you know, she apologizes again for being a failure. Yeah. She gets the whole story. And then he is brought back to Discovery, put in the sickbay, and they have a chance for their reconciliation. And Michael heads in to get that reconciliation. And is uh, disappointed. He refuses to talk to her about what happened. And he even claims that he has no memory of it. Do you believe him? Or is it too too emotional of a subject for him to even broach and maintain his... Well, Vulcans cannot lie. As well, say. we've already seen Sarek. As, as the legend goes, right? Sarek is is. I don't. I'm. I don't know. A rule I'm, I'm not full. I will say I'm not fully convinced. Yeah, I'm not fully convinced. I like Sarek. I, I, I do like. He's Sarek. a he's I a mean, good character in that we we're not really sure where he lies, and he, he's definitely a lot of. Um, well, and just to kind of get a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, broad about him is I, I like the fact that we're getting more into what the char- who the character is because before we've seen him in this show. We'd only seen him once in the original series. He was in a couple of the movies. He's, you know, he's obviously in the Abram, the first Abrams movie, and he's in a couple episodes of Next Gen. There's a lot about him we really don't know, right? That's and true. I love that we're actually getting a little bit more of a background on Sarek. Now, I will say that's, I can't say that that's a character I really took an interest in wanting to know more about. But hey, if you're gonna do it, okay, I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I've come around now. Maybe this does make sense to have it a a, a, a prequel or middle wool or whatever. Um, because if they do a lot with Sarek, that would be a very interesting move. Well, when they announced this cast for the show and who the characters were going to be back in the summertime or even maybe even prior to that, and they said the, that uh, Sarek was going to be a core character on the show, I wondered to myself... What's his role going to be exactly? Like, how vital is he going to be to the series as it goes on? Right. And now that he's on, enter, is on, well, Ooh, he's on Discovery. That's the first time that's happened. Constitution class <laughs> ship, like the Enterprise. He's on the Disco. He's and, on the Disco. And so um, he, he has not left the Disco. So perhaps right. he's going to, uh, not that there's much recuperation time. In because any he Star trusts Trek. the Disco. He trusts the Disco's medical team, at he least. Does. Yes. No quirky doctor. Well, I mean, we haven't seen much of the Doctor yet. I mean, we've seen him, but we don't... Maybe yeah. he is quirky. Right. Where's it's Flo- sort of a trope. Where's, where's Phlox? It's sort of a... Right. It's sort of a trope, though. You have the quirky Doctor. Yeah. Bones, Phlox. The other guy. The hologram guy. Um, <laughs> the best Doctor. Oh, no. You know what? Uh, Beverly Crusher was not quirky in the least. No, bit. I was going to say, not, not <laughs> really. And Julian Bashir had some quirks, I will say. He oh, yeah. He was quirks. very quirky. Yeah. He was very odd. He rivaled... Um, uh, you rivaled him for awkwardness. Him. You're pointing at something. Jordy. An action <laughs> figure of Jordy. Nobody can see this. Oh, right. This isn't... I never found Jordy awkward. I don't know I don't know where this comes from. Why do you say he was awkward? I never found him awkward. Don't you remember the ones that were focused on his love life and him trying to get a date? Yeah, I don't watch those episodes. I... <laughs> he practiced dating in the holodeck. Data did. Jordy sure Jordy. Are you sure Jordy you're not talking about dating? Yeah, no. He, it's a great episode. He's on the beach... He's like sunning. He has this girlfriend in the holodeck. Do you remember the name of it? No. I think right. it's in season three. Well, I kind of avoid. So wait, but All here, right. here's well, the deal. I've, I mean, I'm, I've seen it probably. He I has guess. a girlfriend in the holodeck. Yeah. Regular girlfriend in the holodeck. And they go on dates and they're vacationing on the beach and all that. Oh, wait a minute. Then he decides he's going to try it in real life. No, and he you're just talking freaks about... everybody out. Well, 
You're not talking about Leah Brams, are you? The one who designed the Enterprises, the Enterprise D's engines, and he's like, he's using her simulation, holodeck simulation, and he's getting to know her, and then when the real one makes an appearance on the show, uh, that's he one. Finds out she's that's okay. one time, and right. then there's the time he had the girlfriend on the holodeck. I don't remember the one on the beach because I don't, I don't think he ever brought the designer of the um, Enterprise to the beach. I... Anyway, Jordy's a, he's a very awkward man. Yeah, when it comes to. Um, Courting. Courtship. He just, hey, look, he just wants kids to read, okay? And I thought that was my show when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, uh, Burton is not an odd, quirky man. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him at a convention one time. He's, he's awesome. He fist, he, we, he fist bumped me. Nice. Yeah. Um, now, I think something big that happens okay. here is that we see some food be made. A lot of food, food. we made. And what's the system called again? The it's, I believe it's a food processor. So it's not a, it's not exactly a, uh, a no excuse me a food synthesizer. So it's not okay. exactly a replicator. Okay. Um, I f- I mean it. They may. Get, I'm sure it operates in the same way. Seems to. Actually, I was going to spin a theory, but it's actually kind of out the window. Okay. Um, well, the, the interesting thing is it has a feature that is not seen on any of the later food creation devices, and that is that not only does it tell you what you're getting. It gives you some uh, information about what you're getting. So here yeah, we the, see it. Uh, the give, replicators never did that. It gives you uh, two appetizing and nutrient-filled burritos. Yes. <laughs> when see that's another thing though. That, so that was another case where Michael is um, being a micromanager, where she just walks up and is like, "You're not eating that." Uh, but what was bugging me is how quickly she, Michael was able to kind of like override what the computer was doing. She's like, she was changing it immediately, and the, I'm like, "Oh, well, my, hasn't the computer replicated it yet?" That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. It was, uh, it was making me antsy. It was giving me anxiety. And then later, she makes some tea. Yeah. And green tea, exceptional source of antioxidants, alkaloids, and amino acids. Uh-huh. I found it hilarious for some reason. Right. Well, I mean, I, Tilly's a great character, and I think that all, you know, she's the show's comic relief, basically, so. I think now the food uh, synthesizing unit is the comic relief. I mean, are you asking me? Are you? Are you? I mean, are you wanting to say like, you know, why? What's the difference between that and say and say a replicator? I already know the difference. Okay. It gives you a whole bunch of information about the food you just ordered. So you're saying this food synthesizer is better than the uh, replicator? I don't know. I mean, the other ones would just tell you what you were getting: tea, Earl Grey, hot. This one would tell you. Although sometimes- tea, Earl Grey, hot. Wonderful source of antioxidants, unless, uh, alkaloids, and amino acids. Unless there are a lot of choices. I do remember the first episode of Voyager, Tom Paris and orders uh, tomato soup. And the computer says there are 14 varieties of tomato soup available from this replicator. And it starts to list, list them all. And then he says, I want plain. Then the computer says, specify, hot or chill. And like, they get, they get ang- he gets angry. With right. Because it's getting, yes. he can't do this quickly. But what it never says is, tomato soup, hot. Wonderful source true. of vitamin he C. Just said tomato soup, so he didn't <laughs> beta provide, carotene. He didn't, he didn't provide the necessary information, basically. But it didn't tell him how much it was. Uh, yeah, I right. Because he's supposed to say tomato soup, plain, hot. He just said tomato soup. He was too broad. I but it all, the computer also did not tell him what was in it. And right. Say, so I, I just find it it's very fun because there's no rhyme or reason to it. When it's burritos, they're just nutritious. And I'm just going to assume they tied they tied in her dietary uh, needs into the computer, and it's telling her. I think it's more just, uh, you know, it's just making you feel good about the food you're getting. Yeah. Which I find, it's funny. It's funny to me. All right. I have a strange sense of humor, I guess. Um, So I think uh, a good thing to discuss at the end. So we've seen this whole episode. Mm -hmm. I love the character development with Michael. I love the character development with Sarek. I like the moments with Tilly. Yep. Um, It it was, the plot was fun to watch. Um, We got to watch Lorca bonding more with Ash. And we got to see some more hints that Ash was maybe is a Klingon, which I still, my gut doesn't want to go with it. Yeah. Um, and we saw, though, the big thing with Lorca was this whole thing with the Admiral that we talked about a little bit. But mm. what do you think the repercussions of this are going to be? She's only a prisoner. She's not dead. If, if any. Uh, I don't know. I think she's more of a friend to him because remember when she comes aboard and he says, what are you doing here? She says, I just came to see my friend. It wasn't to issue orders to him or anything like that. But then she's having him resign by the end of this. She's having him resign by it. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if she's acting on behalf of Starfleet to say, get him out of that. Or if this is something she's doing on her own. seems like it was her call as Admiral. Yeah. So I wonder, but is this going to come again? Is Lorca going to have opportunities to rescue her and pass? Is he going to have an opportunity to fire on whatever vessel she's in? Is this going to be... I think that she's... 
I feel like she's going to be expendable. I feel like she... I, I can see her getting killed off at some point. I, I can definitely see that. And um, I wonder if Lorca will be a party to that. At least actively or by negligence. I think that... From what I know of Lorca thus far, I can totally visualize there being a situation where he's in a position to rescue her. Like she's being maybe held hostage or something like that, and the Klingon's going to kill her. Some kind of situation like that. And I can see her not, him not acting. And, and, and the Klingon claiming kill, it was the right call. And la- letting the Klingon kill her. Because I feel like between her, and I can see Burnham maybe inching her way up to kind of tell Lorca, you know, maybe get into some kind of ethical debate with Lorca or something like that. Then you also have the crew who he played the distress call to a couple weeks ago and they were all kind of reacting very strangely to it. I feel like he is going to, at some point, be getting it on all sides. And he's going to kind of do whatever he can to maintain his position. He loves war. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a soldier. He wants to keep he wants to keep at it. I feel like he would even extend the war if he could, but I know he said he wants to end it. I think I could, so too. I think yeah. so too. And I think so to vi- revisit. A- she is his biggest threat right now. I think yes. the admiral is his biggest threat right now. I forget. I forget the admiral's full name, but she is his biggest threat at the moment. At the moment, certainly she yeah. she is his superior and has just said that he's done. Yeah, but she's been taken up. Um, I think following some of the symbolism that we talked about, maybe on the second episode. Yep. Um, so there were the fortune cookies. Yep. The fortune cookies that we talked about how his family had that business, yep. but there was the business wasn't needed when there was peace and prosperity, right. and it was only when um, the war came back that he then was needed. Mm. And I was saying the fortune cookies represented that. Um, so when peace is first mentioned, the very next scene is Lorca smashing a fortune cookie. Right. Oh, yeah. I think showing that... That symbolism is carrying symbolism through, and he's and he's potentially done. He knows he's done if if this piece comes through. Man, wow! We'll see you in the coming weeks. We will, we will. Um, so, rather than a haters' corner this episode, mm-hmm. I I have a um, so I read an article and it was on IO Nine. I wish I had the author's name. Um, but what it said was it uses the what I heard at and I talked about. At New York Comic Con, um, yep. at the Star Trek Discovery panel. Um, so the art- name of the article is um, "Prestige Television." Is oh man, I don't even know the name of it. Okay. It's something like "Prestige Television is an illness" or "Prestige Television is a curse." Right. And what she says, she cites that exact quote from Kurtzman saying, um, "But it's a positive article about the show." No, well, no, it isn't. Oh. It's talking against what's going on in Prestige Television. So she talks about the quote about uh, Kirk yep. and City on the Edge of Forever, of forever yep. that um, Kirk would not have gotten over that in one episode and been fine the next week. Yes. She was making the argument, and so Kurtzman said that it would take a whole season for that to happen, because he would be upset about it, mm. and it would it would stay with him. Right. So Which I find things odd, but this car. So this article was saying that who would want that? Who would want that? City on the Edge of Forever is a great episode, and yes, this character Kirk gets close to her, and then she sacrifices herself, and it yep. is very traumatic. But it's a perfectly contained episode, and it's great. And what's wrong with self-contained single episodes? I think it's just all depending on where you want to take as a writer, where you want to take the character and develop it. And how I just think that's that's that is a I think how they react to something is a is a symptom of where the writer wants to take something. Well, I would take a character. I would argue that in the original series, it was less about well, Kirk's tough, so he would get over in one episode. It was Mm -hmm. just more that's how TV was. It was episode was an episode. It was standalone. The next week, you need to start back at a reset. But I look at it this way: I, I know what Kurtzman is saying. I understand. I sort of disagree with it in the sense that I don't think he would be. It would have taken him all season to get over that because you have to remember that he was only he only knew Edith Keeler for about a day, and you're going to grieve the loss of somebody for an entire day. Mm-hmm. And he knew that she was supposed to die. Mm-hmm. It's established that they knew that she was supposed to die. Yeah. So makes sense. But look, that's just one case. You, he's just saying more broadly. Right. If, yeah, I, I understand. 
And then, but then, so this article went on to say, like, mm, it, that would have been a terrible season of Star Trek if it had been about Kirk struggling with the death of someone that he got close to and, um, you know, moping around the, I mean, the Enterprise. Uh, there's no way to know. Yeah. There's okay. no way to know. So I just wanted to put that forward because when I was discussing it, I, li- I liked that at first. I thought, oh, this is great. Um, right. Yeah, let's have bigger story arcs. Let's have things resonate with other characters into other but, episodes. But look, I mean... But it's true. That's how what that's how TV was at the time, and I mean, you can't you can't fault them for that. That's just the way TV the way it was written. Now it's all about all these all these continuing storylines. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, in my mind, it's just it was just it was a different to me. That's no different than you know TV shows being filmed in black and white at one time. That's just the way that was just the process back then. Yeah, you just have a reset, and you're back at yeah. a clean slate. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we got some letters this week. Oh, a letter. We? Sorry, sorry. Oh. I didn't mean to get your hopes up. We have a, a, oh. email. a letter. Okay. A, not a email. A. An email. An email. Okay. Yes. So we have um, Christine writes. Okay. Hey guys, enjoying the podcast. Thanks so much for putting this together. You're welcome. Um, Thank you for listening. Have a question for you. Okay. <clears throat> you do a good Christine impression. Thanks. Um, I appreciate the depth that you go into when you discuss the show, um, but I have not heard you yet discuss Stamets and his relationship with his partner, and the fact that there's the first openly gay character in a Star Trek show, mm-hmm. or the fact that the first uh, F-word in a Star Trek episode. Just wanted to know what you guys thought about this. Thanks for the podcast. I thought that the first use of the F word was fucking cool. As the line goes. Okay. I, I, I didn't think the first use of the F word. It uh, threw me for a second, but I was like, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I, I say it all the time, so. It threw me too, and I th- sort of thought, oh, they can do it, so now they're doing it. Well, let me tell, let me, let me, so let me give you some perspective on this too. When, in, it, it's, it's 1994. I'm seeing Star Trek Generations in theaters. You know, I'm like... I saw that in theaters as well. Maybe like eight years old, right? And... Jeez. As the... I was... As the Enterprise... As the Enterprise is crashing, after the the drive section has exploded and the saucer section is going hurling toward the surface of the planet, there's a close-up on... uh, And the crew sees, you know, where they're headed. Data says, oh shit. Oh, yes. It was the first time we heard that in Trek, and I actually remember the theater roaring when that <laughs> happened. I, I think it was a different time. It was two things. Well, it was two things, really, because, you know, Trek obviously wasn't known for really much for swearing. Uh-huh. And but to have it be Data. Have it be Data, who had already had his emotion, but to have it to be Data at that time only made it all the more fun. I mean, I mean, if you even if you watch the uh, Next Generation blooper reels... Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart is throwing up f bombs all over the place, and, oh. it, and it's great because it, it sounds like it's in character. Because like <laughs> I remember, like he 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 uh, there's a there's a quick moment where he's a uh, it's it's like in the first season, you know, he's yelling into the view screen. He's like standing between Data and Jordy, and he goes Rika, and he go, then he then he just kind of looks down at Jordy and he goes shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like I just fucking I lost it. I thought it was great. So right. no, I mean I I know it's kind of a long it's kind of a long answer, but I was fine with it. I mean. Yeah, I was. I, was I'm, I'm, I don't have kids. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I swear all the time. So. Right, I, I was fine with it, and even I thought that in the context of it, it wasn't a malicious fuck. It wasn't a, you know, <laughs> it wasn't any of the word. It was, it was that exclamation of you know surprise and astonishment. And, but it was just a comment. It was like this is fucking cool. Yeah, like yes, it is fucking it was, cool. It was sort of the most innocent way you could use the word. Yeah. I would say. Um, uh, on the other point, I liked. On the other point, um, yeah, we didn't really discuss the relationship between. Um, Stamets and what is the doctor's name? I don't, I don't recall, but he was on my so-called life. The actor. I think it's great. I think that it's a real stepping stone for Trek. I love that they're doing it. It's. I feel. I think there was a time when. Well, there was a time when Deep Space Nine, kind of, sort of got away with it. They disguised it a little bit. Uh, I actually watched the episode the other night. Uh, it's an episode called Rejoined. Mm-hmm. I believe it's season f- it's season four or five, where Dax Jadzia Dax is um, reunited with um, 
an old friend, uh, another symbiont whose name I can't recall. Oh, remember I remember that? that. And it turned out, but she was the wife right. of one of Dax's earlier hosts. Yeah, so that symbiont was the was it's an early, the symbiont, not the yeah. host that is right. doing that. Yeah, but there is a there's a there's a very you know beautiful tender scene between the two of them where they share a kiss. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's interesting. So, and I, I gotta interesting say, technicality. I, I feel like that's a moment that people forget about sometimes. Yeah. I don't think it gets enough uh, attention. Was that it, not something that was happened on TV at the time? Well, yeah, we're talking the 90s. I mean, this is like the mid-90s, right? Right, right. So, um, yeah. I, I don't feel like, unless I'm wrong, but I feel like that's a that's something in the uh, series that's not uh, discussed much overall. Um, so, yeah. But I love that they've done it. I think it's great. Yeah, and, and I think in, even in that case, there is this bias, I think, when it's women, people are sort of okay. When it's men, there's sort of more yeah. of an issue for people. I don't know why that right. is. I don't, I don't pretend to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we didn't discuss it, and I sort of think that we addressed it by not addressing it. Because, um, it, you know, it, it worked well. I believe the characters. Mm-hmm. It's sort of... Um, it, it just makes sense that that would be something... Yep. That would exist at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, also, I mean, I don't know if it's relevant, but Kevin and, and, I, Kevin and I live in a, you know, progressive city. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was not a, a surprising thing for us to see. Right. So uh, maybe that influenced it, why we didn't really, didn't seem like it's, anything out of the ordinary. It's another stepping stone like the Kirk and Uhura kiss often cited as the first interracial, interracial kiss on television, which I have to say it is not actually the first interracial kiss on television. Um, but still. What was? I'd actually researched that one time, and it's it's one of these things that's mistakenly called the first. I mean, unless they mean dramatic television, I don't even know if, I don't even know if that's the case, but I'd read that it was like between Sam, it was like, it was like between like Sam B. Davis Jr. and somebody else on like a, Oh, well, don't tell Shatner like, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Shatner was. <laughs> he loves it. Sorry, yeah. Mr. Shatner. But it was, you know, <laughs> he didn't but I, mean it. <laughs> but I, that doesn't diminish the trick of the original series episode at all. But I, I think that it's, I see it as, I see it kind of as, as the same. Uh, I see what you mean. So yeah. for Sammy Davis Jr., it wasn't scripted. It was like a talk right. show, variety I th- show. I think maybe, I, I think maybe it's the first scripted one. I don't, I don't that know makes about sense. that. I don't know about that, but yeah. Um, but no, it's great, and uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that they've done it. They, those two actors did a, did a fantastic job, I think. Yeah, I believe yeah. it. Um, yeah. And what I think we may start seeing is that um, Samus' partner may be one that's going to start to notice some changes in Stamets. I mean, mm-hmm. we we noticed them as soon as we saw him. His character seemed very very different. Yeah. Since his DNA slash mirror incident. Crazy when you think about. It. There's so much going on with all these different characters. Where like we think that you know heading in one direction or this direction or that direction. So not everybody is, you know, on the same, uh, is operating on the same clock. Right, yeah. I mean, we've definitely, like you mentioned before, the first time in Star Trek that we have these questions that we're bringing week to week and looking for answers for, which is, it's it's fun. It's a different Star Trek viewing experience, but it's more akin to some other shows that it we've is. been into. And, I, and, and uh, I enjoy it. It is, and I'm still trying to, as I couldn't find the word last week, I'm still trying to acclimate to this. And uh, I'm very slowly... Getting to it. This is not the. This is not the kind of trick that I'm used to. Right. In that sense. But so, I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. So um, overall, uh, I will give the episode a on a scale of one to ten. I'll give it a nine. And I did not give the. I did not rate the episode from last week, which I totally forgot to do. Um, Choose your pain. I would also give that one a nine. Okay. I feel like the show's getting better and better each week, despite the fact that I gave it the same rating. I give it a nine for different reasons. I think the show is really getting. It's just getting better week to week. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll finally rate an episode. So I'm. 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 Uh, On a scale of one to ten. Yeah, I'll do one to ten. Why okay. not? Although I feel that when when you never go that low on one, really, when you use a scale of one to ten, like did you ever true. Get, we ever well, get a two? No, I've, I've, well, I mean, not for this, but I've done it. I've done it before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, sorry to cast aspersions. Unless on you want to do a Cisco and Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down. Thing. That's too simplistic. Okay. Maybe like okay. a. Three copy- stars. No, no, I'll do it on 10. anyway. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be very harsh on this, and I'm going to... So for me, my 10 is going to be 
like the greatest, like my favorite episode is uh, that's a ten. Like my favorite Star Trek episode of any, like that would be a ten. Right. So this is like a seven five, seven point five. Yeah. So I like it. I enjoyed it. There's room for me to like something more. Yep. And it's not one of my favorite episodes, so a seven five. This this one I give it a nine, as I said, but this one was purely a character development. Episode. This was purely character development, and that's I love character development. Yeah. Um, if we're yeah. gonna if we're gonna watch this show, we have to like the characters. We have to be into what they're doing. Right. We have to know them. So, uh, so yeah, and yeah. I love character development. So you know what? I'm gonna give it an eight. So you're, gonna, you're gonna give it an eight. Yeah, I forgot how much I like character um, development. And next week, based on the trailer, it looks like we're getting a little bit of a cause and effect type of episode. Yeah. So they're stuck in a I'm time loop. Really. And see, and that's, and I'm really excited about this because I didn't, when I heard what the concept of the show was going to be, that it was going to focus on the, on the Klingon war, I was really hoping, I said, well, please do those, like, those sci-fi weird episodes where, like, they encounter, you know, again, a time loop or, like, a, you know, things like that. So, and I love the fact that they haven't forgotten it and they're actually doing it. Right. And even this episode, I mean, this episode, the main thrust of it was Sarah. Mushrooms. (laughs) <laughs> what? Mushrooms, Sarah, mushrooms I, thrust the discovery. Oh, oh, oh wow! I must be tired. I didn't put that together. The main thrust of it, really, I mean, it, it could be a. It's a Vulcan. It's a Sarek and a and a Burnham and the mind meld. You know, there were always kind of mind meld episodes. You know, it was, right. it was one of those, which was great. And but but I like that they're keeping all these other threads going. They're keeping the thread with Lorca and how stable or unstable he is. They're keeping these other threads going. So I, I like that. I like the standalones with the threads. Yes, it just the, the yeah, just just underneath um, the uh, what is it called the 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 what mycelial can, the mycelial web, web underneath the episodes. <laughs> a good I, point. I'm glad that you actually filled me in on that because I said what that was because I didn't know how the hell I was going to describe it. Yeah, um, that's great, mycelial. So look at that right there. Showing mycelial underpinnings of the Klingon War, basically. The science of the show is yeah. also explaining the philosophy of the show's writing. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So, All right. So that would be it. That does it for In Discovery We Trust. Remember, it helps us out a lot if you give us reviews on iTunes or whatever your podcast grabbing system is. Yep. Um, reviews or rate us with stars. Us, email us, please. Um, email us. Give that email. Tweet. Um, I'm going to claim the hashtag In Discovery We Trust as ours, even though they had it the day. That, that that hashtag was going around the day the first trailer for Discovery footage dropped. And that's why I used that's why I used the the name for this for this yeah, podcast. It sort so, of lost steam. It sort of lost steam. So I, I am bringing it, it back. And I think I still see it occasionally on Facebook. So um, that's our hashtag on Twitter. But if you wanna tweet directly to us, it is at disco podcast. Right. And our email and, and is... we have, and we have t shirts on the show. So they're wearing our shirts on the show. Yes. Disco. And our email again is indiscoverywetrust at gmail.com. So, uh, any thoughts you guys have? We want to hear. We want more topics to discuss. We love to discuss this stuff. And, you know, maybe something that we're not thinking about that we can discuss. Just don't, we just don't write long novels for reviews. No, you can do that. That's fine. I don't want to read that. <laughs> I'll read I'm it. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> something brief. That's why I like Twitter so much. All right. All right. That'll do it. <laughs>